Hello, Podnutsians. Welcome to The Makers, Episode 8. This is Door to Door Geek, the show all about building, breaking, and learning. Uh, some of us have had active weeks. Some of us have had quiet weeks. But one thing's for sure, uh, we're going to tell you with some of the stuff that happened. Um, first and foremost, I'll say Aaron is extremely busy. Just got back from vacation. Work is consuming him, literally. Um Liam has a severe storm. He lives in Texas. You'll have that. And uh, Jonas will be joining us later. And Rich just got back from uh, uh, remote working from his house, uh, like five states away or six states away. So he is not here as well. Also, I believe he's sick. So, again, short staff, but still plenty, plenty of content. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Brett. Hey, Brett, uh, did you do any building, breaking, or learning this week? Uh did some breaking, uh, broke a couple things, including my uh, 3D printer, uh, rebuilt it, uh, got uh, lights on it, and did a couple other things that are uh, just video game related, but still fun. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, well, the two quickies I'll ask you about is one, how did the printer break? Was it a normal break or was it like a you know bad one? Well, it was, uh, it was a normal break. It just, uh, for some reason, the uh, Octoprint, kept freezing up so it would freeze on the print and come to find out at least i think i don't know i haven't tested it completely yet but i think the whole uh board was freezing up so just letting it uh cool down letting it uh put fans on it when i should have had fans on it before one of my fans fell off so i'm hoping that it's okay but uh seems like it's okay and this was on the ft5 printer yeah this was on the ft5 Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'll say my Raspberry Pi 3 running the um, official Octopi image, nothing but problems. Uh, now Diet Pi has been running on it. It's been up for three weeks straight. Uh, I actually have a every 30-second ping test going, and it's getting logged, and it's never missed a ping now in almost three weeks, I want to say. Um, the problem is, is I can't get the camera to work. So it's not perfect. But, of course, in my eyes, 3D making, uh, building is not perfection. Perfection is the enemy of completion. So, for right now, I'll say I'm complete. Um, I'll say also, Brett, uh, you have this affinity to want to do retro game-related making, which, to be honest, I'm very envious of, and I think it's really cool. But, legally speaking, we all know there's blurry lines involved, but uh, didn't a uh, crackdown just happen by you? Yeah, actually, uh, there was a group company um, back in the or over in the Bay Area. Something about one point two million dollars in profit were made. Uh, the prosecutor says um, where they're being they're being cracked down on. They're all being basically possibly sent to prison for it, um, which is you know the reason why I love the retro gaming, but I'm to be honest, really nervous about uh, sending it with any kind of, except for the abandonware, you know, any kind of games, you know, even the abandonware can be a little iffy, so I don't even know. So I've got to do a little bit more research, but yeah, there were six people that uh, got uh, cracked down on, and uh, it's going to be a little bit of a uh, publicity thing, but it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what goes on. Yeah, this um, harkens back to one of Liam's beliefs about this whole retro gaming thing, which 
it isn't a question is it legal or is it not legal because we all know it's a blurry line the question is is how much money are you making off it once you start to make a certain amount of money that's when they want to come after you so i'm not going to say go ahead and do it until you make a lot of money what i will say try not to make it a cornerstone of anything you're doing out there listeners Uh, it's great to do it for fun it's great to do it for experimentation it's great to do it in a very small fashion is what i'm going to believe um if you directly exchange roms of copyrighted trademarked video games for money is where it starts to get gets dangerous and many people have found ways to try to dance around it but it's one of those things i don't want to say don't do it i'll just say if you decide to do it do it very cautiously and try to check with lawyers as much as possible yeah i'll be uh i'll be checking in with a lawyer pretty soon anyway to uh my my thing is probably going to be giving the games away what people will be paying for is the the uh um paying for the product the actual you know whether it be the same thing as you know buying buying something you don't know what people are going to use it for technically but it's still you know you can you can still sell it i guess you could say yeah it's like those um places that say for for tobacco use only yes Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we're also joined by Chad. Hey, Chad, uh, this week did you do any building, breaking, or learning? No, real quiet week here, Brudor. No, kidding. Yeah, I've been doing <laughs> a lot of stuff. Brudor <laughs> almost had a heart attack there. <clears throat> no, I uh, did a lot of breaking, still fixing. Um, got uh, my MPCNC kind of decided to have about three problems all at one time, and I am working through them. Right now, you can hear in the background, my printer is going, printing some new parts. So, yeah, been a busy week here. Well, yeah, and I don't want to say people who do the CNC, mostly printed CNC, MPCNC, I would expect not to expect perfection as soon as you put it together and run it. I'm going to guess most of the people who do this are going to go through a bit of time of trial and error. And I say distinctively, you have an advantage, I think, over a lot of people just because you know what to expect, when to expect, how to expect. And when you see something waver from that expectation, your internal like red flags go off. Yeah, I also have, that is true, but I also have the problem of wanting it to do more than what it's designed for originally. So that's been my big thing is now redesigning parts as they break to handle what I'm doing. Um, in the past episodes, I've talked about putting that uh, bigger spindle on, and that's been my biggest problem right now is the weight of that is quite a bit more than what it was designed for. So I am upgrading that and working on that, and yeah, I'll be talking about that later when it's my shot at that. Awesome, awesome. Uh, we're also joined by James How's everything going, man? Did you, uh, well, what do I say? What am I, who am I, what, how much fun did you have this week building, breaking, and learning? Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Stupid mistake on my part. I've uh, been one of those like uh, two steps forward, one step back kind of weeks. Pretty good, though. All in all, I've come out ahead. I'm actually making parts on my router now. It's running. Um, last week, I think I had the laser running. But um, need a little more work before I actually got the spindle running on the router. Um, 
mid machine and some aluminum on it. Done all right. Uh, haven't really done a whole lot of braking this week, which is kind of a new one for me. Um, usually I break stuff on a pretty regular basis. But uh, yeah, it's been un- uneventful on the braking end. But I've probably put, uh, I don't know, two, two and a half spools of filament through my 3D printer this week. Uh, m- machined up most of a four-way sheet of aluminum on my router and uh, down a few little odds and ends on the mill. So yeah, it's been a pretty good week. Very cool, very cool. I'll tell you the pictures of the aluminum being milled. While I don't completely know what's going on, it's still an impressive picture. Yeah, thanks. That's a prototype computer case um, for Singularity Computers. That's kind of the concept model. I've got <laughs> less than a week to finish. So, yeah, uh, if I'm still working on it this time next week, then I probably won't sound as happy. Uh, that's a uh, prototype gaming PC we're building. It's going to be the most, I guess, expensive gaming PC case on the market like ever so far. Uh, and I'm building the concept model for it. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm machining all the flat stock. I've got the carbon fiber done. Um, all the stuff that's going to be machined out of aluminum that isn't really router work. Uh, this time around is 3D printed, but that's all going to be milled. But... Uh, it's basically just a concept to prove, you know, everything fits together right and, um, you know, good for pictures and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's going to be on Kickstarter soon. So we kind of need, you know, an actual physical model to show what it does. After the concept model, then I'll machine everything out of metal and do an actual um, kind of prototype. I mean, this is a prototype technically, but like, an, you know one that's actually using all the processes that we'll use for production for it. But anyway, yeah, it's been a busy week and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably been, I think my printer has been running for eight days straight now. (laughs) I'm just about done. It'll finish up some parts in the morning and then I'll finally be done printing all the stuff for it. That's honestly awesome to have a printer that busy because everyone wants it to be busy. They feel like they're getting their value out of it, but eight straight days of busy, you're getting your value out of it. Um, the real yeah, question, it's actually paying for itself. Well, the, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Uh, but the real question is, is if this is the most expensive of something, should we maybe not call you James and start calling you James E. Ive or something? <laughs> That's funny. Um, I had to, this is embarrassing. You guys can see it on YouTube if you want, but I had to record some, kind of voiceover stuff telling about the case and i'm not an apple fan i'm not i'm an android guy like i mean i can respect some of what apple's done you know they're very good at what they do whether it's stealing or not is i guess up for debate but i'm an android guy um (laughs) but i had to do this voiceover for this really expensive pc case and none of us are professional at this kind of thing one of us has a very successful YouTube channel, but it's not really his kind of thing. So I kind of got stuck with it. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reading the little script I wrote for the pages of the case and all this stuff. And I watch it back and I sound like an American kind of cheap ripoff of Johnny Ive. <laughs> and it's really embarrassing. And... Um, uh the people i work with loved it <laughs> they're like oh this is awesome <laughs> now it's on the youtube channel and you know it's like 
10, 20,000 views or something like that. I'm just like, this is really painful. <laughs> this, I, I don't know if I like this. Hey, James, we, I think we all watched it and you did a great job. It was a very professional video and <laughs> thumbs up. Yeah, I'm not. I'm I not appreciate one... the uh, humor because that's painful for me to see. Well, no, I, and I'm not one to sugarcoat a damn thing. Just ask my kids. You did, to be honest. If it, if I didn't know it was you, I would have swore it was a professional job doing it because it it fit, it looked, it sounded like it should have a professional display of a professional product. It took me like 50 tries. I filled up a 32 gigabyte card. Uh, recording the video where I'm standing in front of the Fidel, which I, I'm actually I'm happy with that part. Um, that wasn't really scripted. I was just kind of talking until I got it right. But the part where I'm doing the little animation, you know, turning it around in CAD and stuff, that's just painful to watch. But uh, yeah, I couldn't help but think of like Johnny Ive the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, some of the YouTube comments, uh, there's definitely some people who feel more like I do about it than you guys feel about how I did about it. But, you know, that's YouTube, I guess. Yes, that is YouTube. Um, we're also joined this week by um, by um, Jonas. Hey, hey Jonas, uh, did you do any uh, building, breaking, or learning this week? That would be learning through iteration. Gotcha, gotcha. Not too much breaking. Learning how to use Onshape. Learning how not to use Onshape. All kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, the, the more I play with Onshape, because I still consider myself uh, like a level one and a half noob on it. It seems like the order of operation for Onshape seems to be one of the most important things about it. Knowing at this step is when you should do this. Don't wait to do it later. Do this part now. It And I'll say this, Onshape makes it very easy to go back in time if you want to do something different. That's the one thing I learned that I really do, really do like about that tool. Yeah, I'm not a CAD guy. It's the first CAD program I've really dug into. And one thing I found out through watching a bunch of videos, I finally found a video that said if you drag select from left to right, selects different objects differently than if you drag from right to left selecting objects. Yeah, that's so pretty one universal. Grab, one grabs a group and one grabs the object or something associated with an object. And uh, yeah, I have not seen that anywhere, but I'm, you know, this is my first CAD thing I'm looking at and it's not in any of the beginner videos that I've watched. So definitely learn that. That was yeah, interesting. That can, that can be uh, pretty uh, hard to get used to also. Yeah, I'm a veteran CAD guy, and I used SolidWorks for 10 years before I discovered that. That's not just an odd shape. That's kind of a universal thing, but a lot of people don't know it. I like, Yeah, I think it was 10, 11 years I used SolidWorks before I figured out the difference between the going from left to right or right to left. I, I'm not going to lie. I really don't understand what in the hell you're saying, but I'm sure it's the kind of thing that once I actually, because now I know to at least play with it and test it, right to left, left to right, dragging the square to highlight things. It, I'm, I'm sure because you guys are telling me it will make much more sense much quicker instead of why in the hell did it do this, what what is going on kind of thing. Um, so I'm going to tell people then now in the beginning stages, pick a direction, and when it starts to work that way, train yourself to always go in that direction. Well, it works depending on what you want to select. If you select from different directions, it's got different behaviors. So you'll kind of pick which way to select, 
We want to play around with it a little bit. Just try one way and then the other. And it's hard to explain in audio, but um, it's pretty self-explanatory if you're in the software and you just play around with it a little bit. You'll be like, oh, okay. You know, like in most CAD platforms, if you drag right to left the box, you have to completely get the thing inside the box to select it. If you drag left to right, no, sorry, I'm getting that backwards. If you drag right to left, anything that's partially in the box will get selected. Any group it's a part of, the whole group will get selected. Um, that's just a little thing that you just don't ever discover on your own, but uh, is hugely valuable, you know. It's hugely valuable. So if you're going left to right, it will select the entire, you have to get the entire thing in the box or it won't select it. And it's the opposite the other way, if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah. if you use it, it's pretty clear. Yeah, so one way, if it intersects whatsoever, it gets selected completely. The other way, if it if 99.9999% of something is within the box, it still will not be selected. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, okay. so One Direction's a node. It picks up the node and throws the whole section in. The other way, you have to have everything in there. Yeah, Illustrator does a similar thing, but it's across two different tools. It's not the one select tool that you have to use. It's if you use this kind of select tool, you change how it picks up stuff and groups things. So... It's a little bit different, but it's it does a weird kind of thing, except it's not all in one tool. So I kind of understand that, but it made sense once I finally saw a video that said, oh, well, if you do it swiping this way and that way, it does this or it does that. And it's like, oh, well, that would be helpful to know on the learning beginning video. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, my building breaking learning is is pretty light. I'm gonna say uh, no real breaking. Well, then there was a little bit of breaking to speak of. Uh, Didn't you find the, a screw somewhere that you shouldn't have? Oh, that too. Yeah. Um, I was printing stuff that I'll get to, and I walked in the room and I looked down at the printer, and there's my print bed moving back and forth. There's the printing thing, and there's a screw sitting on the bed right up against the stuff that's being printed. And all I think to myself is there is no way this is going to be good and free screw. Yeah. And everyone said, well, you know, try to move, try to shift. And I'm like, everything looks together. Nothing's moving. Nothing's budging. Nothing's wobbly. I'm looking for all the screws. I can, and everything has a screw in it. Where could, and they're thinking there's no way somebody could have played a trick on me because there's nobody else in the house. So, it and, and so then I just said I'm gonna let it keep printing. It hasn't failed, and then, and then I'll worry about it later. So I just kept printing a little bit more, a little bit more, and then like four or five prints later, I realized the nozzle, the hot end itself, I'm guessing, has two screws holding it in. Um, it's one of those screws because I, if I go touch the nozzle, I can physically like swing the novel, like the nozzle, like a pendulum in one direction. Um, but it still prints just fine. And honestly, I'm the kind of guy, if it's still printing just fine, I don't see it being damaging to itself. So I'm literally just going to wait. And, and, and then when the time comes to pull out the Allen wrenches, take apart the fan, take apart, get inside that little box and then put the screw back in. I had the same thing happen on my $6,900 router right after kind of, I think I gave you a hard time for the screw on the bed. And literally hours later, um, I'm doing some stuff on my router and I see a screw sitting there and I'm like, oh, I guess I should have shut up. Um, 
one of the four screws that hold the y-axis stepper motor in and vibrated loose and dropped down and it's just like uh okay i guess i'd better go through and loctite all of these but uh, uh don't worry yeah it was just maybe three four. hours after i'd finished uh giving you a hard time so uh, what goes around comes around i guess gotcha gotcha yeah and then the building and learning part uh was almost the same thing um there there's a old in air quotes uh scientific term that is a um a um um measurement of one is not a measurement at all it's pointless and it's, it's useless because you got to have multiple measurements in order to have an understanding of something um my i uh, the white box light box we have right now which is nothing more than a in um a a in um in um closure with translucent white walls so you can light up the outside the white uh, um the uh fuses the light you put an object in it and you can take really good pictures what we have now is basically the amazon box a bigger amazon box with the walls cut out except for the edges and a little bit of rail around the edge kind of thing but because the box is so big there's no structural integrity to it so it's almost floppy around kind of thing and i can't put any weight on it like the lights or the battery pack or else it almost collapses so what I did was on Amazon, I bought, and I wasn't sure how big to buy, uh, but it was like a pack of 20 half-inch big around wood dowels with like 10 bucks or something. So I figured I'll buy more than I need just because they're so cheap. They could come in handy later. I'll buy some of these dowels. We'll 3D print the three-prong corner pieces because in each cube, each corner has three points connecting to it. So we'll print them, and then we'll, we'll basically put it together ourselves. We'll put the... um white material on the outside bam solid rigid good light box white box and what i had my son because i'm doing this partially so my son knows how it's done i'm gonna take him through the, the the process the easy process no better way than to scratch your own niche light box bam bam he pulls out the caliber he pulls out one wood dowel measures it goes into uh tinkercad still unfortunately builds it and makes the inner wall of the tube just like a 0.2 bigger than the Dow, something very small. We 3D print it, we pull it out, we bam, 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 fits good, fits good. You did a really good job, son. Thanks, Dad. I tried. And then he was telling me all the little things he did to make it. And then, so then I go and print uh, seven more of these things. I'm done printing all seven more. I pull out wooden dowels, and, I, and, they, and none of them that I pull out fit inside of these holes. So the QA on the wooden dowels is utterly poor and they're i don't want to say random sizes but they're they're not the exact same size so we should have taken the caliper and measured at least three or four of these and then figure out you know how big should we make them so we had to basically reprint them all uh liam and i think chad both had a good idea which is basically just fracture one of the walls of the cylinder along the long end and then if it opens up just a little bit, you can fit the dowel in. Who cares? It still works just fine because this is not something we're going to be moving around, bouncing or bouncing around kind of thing. And we tried that, and it was just too big of a difference. So once again, we added more uh, cubic footage to our trash bin of failed prints and print eight more corner pieces. Uh, it's still not completely together yet. He had things going on. I had things going on. So we're going to try to have that done here in the next day or two. Okay, um, we're going to get to the main topic area now. I'm actually going to move mine down. Uh, Jonas, want to talk about idea maker now? Really quick, thirty second, starting with you, Brett, going down. You, we've all had a chance to at least play with 
the slicer named I I um I um I idea m- maker. What is your thoughts on it, Brett? I actually haven't been able to get to it yet, so my thoughts are uh, not very good. So it's not desirable for Brett. Uh, Chad? Um, <laughs> I don't know if 30 seconds will cover it, but um, I like a lot of it, but there is some major things that are missing. Um, it's only got two infill settings, and neither one of them are that good. Um, I've had... A lot of a lot of issues with it. Other than that, um, so hopefully they'll keep updating and make it better. I really love the interface. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Gotcha, uh, James. Yeah, uh, I played around a little bit. I kind of got to agree with Chad. The interface I love. The UI is good. Like hands down, like the UI. They, they did something right there. It's clean. It's, like, easy to understand. It's easy to find the tools and everything. But it's kind of half-baked. Like, they've got some really good stuff in there, but it's still kind of on the glitchy side. Um, slicing was weird and slow. I tried throwing a few different STLs at it that I knew had glitches in them. Didn't handle them well. Uh, auto repair kind of worked. Kind of didn't. Um... I feel like it's something they released too early or something like that. That's just a feel I get. Like it's if if they just took some time and kind of filled out the features a little bit, like had the infill settings, you know, have a little more variety to them and stuff like that. I think it could be really good. Um, but yeah, that's just it's kind of half baked. It's just not quite there yet. It's still a little bit glitchy, and there's just still too much stuff missing. So hopefully they update it. Having said that, though, um, normal, straightforward slicing and STLs that were kind of, you know, in good shape, it, it did all right with them. It did fine with them. Um, I like it better than Cura for that. I uh, don't like it as much as Simplify 3D. Like, the slicer ran a little quicker and better for me than in Cura with good STLs. With bad STLs, it just choked on it. It didn't do anything. Like, it just didn't handle it at all. Um, but yeah, it's not going to be replacing Simplify 3D for me. Uh, having said that, I, I hope the Simplify 3D guys learn a little bit about uh, like UI design because that part they did pretty well. But yeah, it's just just not there yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I'll say I, I'm I'm in complete agreement with you guys. The interface to me is golden. I actually get some of it. I it, 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 and the other thing on my box at least the load time is unbelievably fast. Where Cura seriously takes like easily 30 seconds to load and idea yeah. maker takes like a half a second. Yeah, the slicing too was a lot faster than in Cura for me. Yeah, and to me that's a big plus. But uh Jonas has some um, uh topics ideas that he wants to talk about idea maker. And, and first I'll say I mean I'm sure it's not mature, but were you at least happy with what you saw, um, Jonas? Yeah, the look of it of it is good. It's easy to move stuff around. Um, what I wanted it for is I was I had a weird model that in Slick 3R did not um, fill out the top correctly, and I had holes in weird places. So I I saw the uh, idea maker had where it could repair things. 
And I don't have a, uh, a version of Windows available that I can put uh, MeshMaker on to actually fix something. So I thought I'd try this, and I couldn't get it to work. Um, it uh, actually filled in the hole that I didn't want filled in, and I suppose it did fill in the holes that I that the other software was complaining about, but I, I need both not one and not opposite, so it didn't really work for me for that. I did like how it, you could move, um, you know, custom uh, supports, so you could add supports however you like, however many you like, whatever size, you know, um, that was super easy. And that's one thing that I would probably pay for Simplify 3D just for that feature for things, because I, I do Slick 3R exclusively, and you can't put supports where you want them, and it puts supports all over the place where you don't want them or don't really need them. So um, I would have liked it for that. I did not actually get to export anything to my printer from it. Um, my printer is on Octoprint. I don't have anything, a computer directly hooked up to it except for Raspberry Pi. And uh, I couldn't get it connected to there. When I clicked the button that said connect to your printer, it wanted to use one of that company's printers. And it didn't have like a generic thing that I could find unless somebody else knows how to do that. I wouldn't able to get it. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, getting your model there, moving around, you know, viewing it in different versions, you know, the um, layer by layer version preview of, you know, how it's going to print on the level, you know, as it goes up in different places. That was really, really nice. Um, but I, I couldn't use it for what I anything I do. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'll say you in the notes uh, say that you were running it on Arch. There's no native Arch install, but it looks like you found a good link on describing what is and how to use a package called DevTap. Yeah, DevTap basically repacks the uh, a Debian file, which is .deb is what the uh, Ubuntu uses and anything Debian-based uses as a, a package file where you install a piece of software on those systems. So there's a actually useful DebTap program in the uh, Arch user repository that works really good. And I was able to convert it, no problem, and get that running really quickly. That's really cool, yeah. I mean, what I'll say is it's a young program. It's not a mature program, but I will agree with, with, with some of the other guys. What I see in it, I really like. Uh, my complaint, I'll say, is I'm an idiot, so I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a noob. I spent 30 minutes just trying to get the damn thing to slice, and it wouldn't slice. I would hit start, and there was no template listed, and I would try to go through and duplicate a template. And when you go to duplicate one to create one, it would let me pick the printer and the filament type, but the new template and template name areas wouldn't let me put anything in them. And if I hit OK, the app would just lock up and then it would eventually just disappear. Um, what I didn't realize was the program is so non-mature. I had to first go in, create a, a, uh, a new filament type, save it, exit the app, load the app back up, and then go to try to make a new template. And then I could finally get to the point of actually slicing. So I haven't actually used anything that it, it sliced, but I still want to because... Everything I'm doing right now is very basic. There's nothing super fancy I'm doing in my slicing. So I'm I'm hoping I'll get at least something useful out of it. But I'm going to keep it installed and I'm going to keep looking for updates to it 
just because I really do have high hopes for it. Yeah, I found that same problem, Dor. That it's very glitchy. Um, yeah. And then if you try to make a secondary profile for another type of filament, um, it doesn't transfer everything from the previous profile when you duplicate it. Like I have a special code, uh, G codes that I like to run. I like to do a uh, purge of my uh, extruder and different things before it starts printing. And I got to copy that into every profile, every filament, every everything. It's just that needs work. Um, <laughs> there's other things that they just haven't figured out yet. Like I'm a Cura user and I used it once, actually printed something, and I thought, oh, yeah, it looks great, you know, whatever. But the infill wasn't I didn't like their infill settings and different things um, and it's got some really nice features that um, some of the paid software has uh, like the adjustable uh, supports and different things and I mean those things are really good but there's I like to run a different temperature on my bed for the first couple layers and then have it cool down as it's running the rest of the layers because I don't need that heat. You don't need it after it's made that bond. You don't need it with the Kapton tape and there's just no option for it. Um, there's just a lot of glit and it crashes all the time. I mean, it took me, what would it took me five minutes in Cure to do? It took me an hour to actually get exported out in Idea Maker. But saying that, not trying to, it is good software. It, it, it's, it's going to be good, hopefully. Sorry about that, Dor. I love you, Chad. Um, Jonas, you want to talk about uh, a battery charger as well? Oh, yeah, that's kind of a long long deal um yeah this is just basically um product development for 3d printing thinking of a product and how do you turn that into reality something you can probably sell gotcha gotcha well i like the idea because you already you showed us a little bit of the development process for creating this rocket is is what i believe you call it and honestly i think it's just a really good idea so basically, um, I just run through the the quick head points I got here. So um, basically, the process you want to think about feasibility. Is this something that maybe somebody wants? Are you able to get this put together? Um, there's some design considerations. You got to consider different materials, and then how you're going to produce the thing. So I'm not going to go through all of these points. That would be just me reading. But if you want to take a look at the notes. Great. Um, but basically, um, I saw online someone had made a uh, one of those battery backup chargers. So, you know, your cell phone runs out of charge and you pick up one of these battery packs, Anchor or whatever they are, eBay and Amazon, and plug in a USB cord and charge up your phone or whatever because you're, you're not near a wall charger or your car or whatever. So they had it just basically printed a square box 
and threw the battery and the charger in that and called it done. And I thought, well, that's that's a good idea, but you know, that's not something I would buy from someone, you know. But there's an eBay little USB dongle thing, and uh, it's like a one dollar little circuit board. It has a the the big wide USB connector on one side and a micro SD connector on the other side, and um, one side you use to charge it and one side you use to discharge it. So you can plug this thing into any two to six or seven volt battery source, and you can either charge it or discharge it with that little board. That's nice. So, I like that. So you can. I I ordered some uh, batteries from eBay and from China. Didn't know which one was going to get here, and actually they both got here, so that was good. And um, so basically, you're just making your own little anchor charger. But you know, we're 3D printers, and you can download anything you want off Thingiverse. So why not grab a more interesting shape and stick it in there? So that's what I started looking at. That dude, I'm sorry. That is a really good idea. Number one, number two. People, I'm telling you right now, Jonas glossed over it. If you are thinking like my son about you, well, I would like to go on. I would like to sell things. I'd like to make money because I've showed him a couple games on the Nintendo Switch. And he's like, I like that, Dad. You know, can we buy it? Sure, we can buy it when you have money. How am I supposed to get money? I got a job. I said, you can sell things. So these processes to me that you put down there uh, on designing uh, plausibility of it, feasibility of it, um, and all the other things are great things to run through. These are things that a lot of people, when they design, they don't think. They just stop and think, this would be cool. You put down logical things to put your mind through as an exercise. It's a bullet point. It's a checklist. It's a sanity thing. People, if you're thinking about designing stuff, you need to look at this list. Number three, can I please beg you? Can we get a link for that uh, little dollar dongle thing from Amazon and Lewis? I'm thinking I need to buy one of them. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. It's a secret. Can't have it. <laughs> what if I double your salary? Uh, maybe triple. <laughs> okay, three times nothing is... No, yes, it's a deal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, let me look that up. Okay. Um, hey, he's making three times what I'm making now. That's not <laughs> yeah. fair. But, um, Jonas, does the dongle you bought or your board that you bought or you're buying or whatever, does it discharge and charge at the same time? So, like, it, can you charge it as your I did not test that um, I'm just doing one or the other and what I'm doing is I've got some uh, right angle uh, USB cables so one end is the micro and one end is the big one and so basically you know intuitively you can look at that and say well if I plug it in this way I can charge it if I plug it in this other way it's charging my other thing that it's plugged into so hopefully you won't ever think to do that so I'm not sure if you can or not, or if it'll explode, but um, yeah, that's not explicitly said anywhere that I could find. Um, and it's a slow charge, slow discharge. So it's not, you know, a, a three amp, you know, fast charge thing for your, you know, $800 cell phone. This is a big battery, just slow discharge to get minimum power to get you going to the next thing. It's not, it's not going to charge well i've only got one bat i've only tested it with one battery and it's uh one kind of battery charges a little faster than the other kind of battery um i suppose if you put more than one cell to it it would probably give you more of a boost but um 
it does the job. It's just not quick. I was only asking because we all look for battery backups for the Raspberry Pis and different stuff, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure it's that because those things are usually a bit more pricey. Um, right. Well, I'll 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 make you guys a promise. Before next week's show, I'll have the link for that episode for a board on Adafruit. It's a little bit bigger than your thumbnail, this board. And what this board does, this board does allow you to do charging and discharging at the same time. The hook, the re, the hardware re, um, re requirement for it is you have to, well, obviously I'm going to say charge and discharge on different ports. So your charger is going to have to have two ports, a micro and a full. You always charge in the micro. You always discharge on the full this little board, I want to say it was literally like a buck forty-six, would allow you to do that. Yeah, definitely. I'm interested in that because yeah, this is ten for eleven. Yeah, me too. It'd be nice to kind of have a little uninterruptible power supply built into a Raspberry Pi or something like that. You know? Wow, Jonas, this board is really super tiny. Yeah, let me show you. I'll show you on the video. This is one prototype rocket. It's kind of big. But, uh, you know, the battery goes in the bottom. And that battery lo looks like a, um, what is it? Eight, is it what's it called? 18690 or something like that? 18650, I think. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, and it's like a 3200 milliamp or whatever. It, it's, it's one of the two bigger ones. But it's a, supposedly it's a Philips made in uh, Japan. So it should be good enough quality. If you need more batteries, uh, let me know because I get those laptops really cheap, and with the batteries that are bad, um, usually only one cell is bad, and the rest are really, really good. So if you ever need batteries, just let me know. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Are they about the same size as these? Yeah, they're the they same use? ones. They use the 18650s. Ah. Yeah, they are literally the exact same ones. The only reason I know it is because that's the same battery I use in my vaporizer. And everyone said if you have a failing or failed laptop battery, something weird, like 98% of all laptop batteries crack the batteries open in a safe manner. And what's inside of those plastic enclosures is nothing more than wrapped up 18650s or whatever. Okay, yeah, there's um, on the side I got, oh, I guess it was eBay. On one of them, the uh, they did show these batteries as being a replacement for a, a vape device of some kind. They actually, one of the forums I frequent, they have taken those and made similar to like a Tesla wall, Tesla wall. So they just series those things up like crazy because they're so like cheap, that. and you just yeah, that is that is. A great battery set, yeah. Holy crap, Brett. You have enough of them? That's just one of my boxes. I have probably another 60 or 70 cells laying around. Okay, note to self. If I'm running low on money, get dying or dead laptops from people, crack the batteries open, go on eBay, sell them as vape batteries. Check. Yeah, basically. That's what when I did my vaping, um, that's exactly what I used, and they work amazing. Only problem is they don't have uh, um, cutoffs. Uh, depending on the which one you use, it might not ha have a cutoff, so it might go down a little bit and blow up. 
Yeah, they have. Uh, I, yeah, I can't these remember. are not protected. These batteries that I have here, but the circuit board is supposed to have protection in it. Oh, good, right. good, good. Yeah, that that's what I was gonna say. That's really cool. Um, yeah, it's kind of important. <laughs> right, and I'll say, James, don't worry about your pay. You'll make it up in re re residuals. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, that's really cool. And and honestly, these are the kind of ideas, Jonas, I really like because. This, this, there's nothing complex about this, and this is an utterly easily easy way to personalize your accessories. Anybody can take a battery pack you buy, even if you want to just buy a cheap one off of Amazon, crack the thing open, pull the batteries out, which should be pretty safe to do that, make your own case for it, and voila, you have yourself something that no one else has, and, you know, it can look cool. You can make it out of uh, a lightsaber handle if you want. There is a... Uh... There was a guy that I know sent me a video or sent me a 3D printed uh, Rick and Morty pickle Rick. I'm not up on Rick and Morty, so, but uh, that just made me think of that. You could actually, Rick. yeah, okay. <laughs> um, you could actually put a battery in that, you know, stuff like that. Just easily customizable fun stuff is just the definition of what we do and we what we like doing. At least I, I think. Well, the only thing I'd be sure about is the connector for that pickle Rick. Something tells me would be in his butt. Yes. Where else would you put it? <laughs> it's Rick and Morty. Well, that's the the reason I picked this rocket idea is you know if you have this battery coming out of the bottom, so you take your USB dongle, plug that in the bottom, and you can you know on the table standing up, and then the cord can be under the bottom, and so you know you're charging your bat your thing with a you know, interesting looking rocket. So that's one idea. But um, again, this is just one cell. And if you want to do a multiple cell, you know, another rocket idea is, you know, you see a lot of sci-fi rocket pictures and they've got multiple tubes connected together or, you know, one of those low earth orbit airplanes with the multiple sections. You, you could build a cool little model and throw a bunch of batteries in it. And, you know, you got a cool thing to sit on your desk and, oh, by the way, it charges my phone, you know. Exactly. You could do a Falcon Heavy and stick three cells in there. Exactly. Oh, that could sell. You, 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 you could sell plenty of them on Etsy. I'll have to cat one up. There you go. Um, um, I was going to say, I was powering the, um, I forget what this this is. One of those, um, not Raspberry Pi, what, what is that off-brand Pi, Banana Pi Zero? I was powering that off of it for a couple of hours. Did just fine. So, you know, good battery pack for little single-board computer stuff, too. Right. That, that I believe, you got maybe, was it the Nano Pi Zero? Uh, Zero? Or Orange Pi Zero? Oh, Orange Pi Zero. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I'll say I have a RAV battery pack. I think it's 10,000, and most of those 18650 are between two and 3,000. That 10,000 thing can power a Banana Pi Pro with a SSD hanging off of it and a Raspberry Pi 2 with a Wi-Fi uh, dongle hooked up to it for easily 10 hours. Yeah, I was surprised. These are pretty high in milliamp rating. The lowest one I have is 2600, and the other one is like 3400. Very cool, very cool. The uh, uh, I was going to ask you, Jonas, um, what... Uh, what NanoPi is that? The one without the uh, HDMI output? Correct. It's got Ethernet, USB. It's got an infrared thing on it, I think. Um, and then it's got some GPIO ports, but it's got built-in Wi-Fi. 
and an SD card, and it powers by a USB. Yeah, that was one that I was looking at. The only problem was, you know, not having an HDMI port. I was looking for my uh, for my retro gaming stuff. Still would like to have you video. Could, supposedly, you're supposed to be able to do, like, a VG output through the GPIO pins. So you might look into that if you want to really go retro. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I'll say my experience with uh, Orange Pies, and I did have somebody else this week playing with playing around with an Orange Pie. Uh, a guy named Josh was in Montreal for a wiki conference of some kind, wiki media, wiki something conference, and he uh, was uh, playing with a Orange Pie to be like a um, internet in a box server, and everybody I know with Orange Pies, they get hot. They are some of the hottest running mini computers I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. I don't know that I I haven't messed with the orange pie at all, but yeah, that that was one of the reasons why I was kind of not considering it. That's right. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, very very cool, Jonas. Very good list. I'm I'm, I'm literally printing this list out. I'm gonna actually I don't have a printer. I'm gonna put it as the background on my kid's computer so he can always look at it. Yeah, I've already copy and pasted it to my uh my Trello. Good man, good man. And it looks like now, it looks like, Jonas, they have an Orange Pie Zero Plus Two, which I don't know if I remember seeing that one before. Because that one does have HDMI built onto it. I didn't, I swear I did not, I did not see this one. Now we'll say, Chad, it's running in all winter. Throw it away. Don't even bother. Okay. With that said, Chad, uh, you have a talk, uh, you have your topics you want to talk about, uh, videos and some oh uh, laser and because we all know everything's better with lasers well yeah just put a laser on it makes it 20 times better um yeah i had talked about it a little bit earlier the uh npcnc issues um there's a few things that probably should mention i posted a video just kind of uh, walking through what I've got so far done on it. Some of the upgrades I've done on the Makers channel on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and during the video, of course, something's going to go wrong. But I don't have an issue with that because that's what we do here, you know. It's your making, your breaking, your learning. Um so my z-axis started uh clicking and popping missing steps well <laughs> come to find out two things happened the part that i used idea maker to make and or to slice fell apart uh started splitting that could have been i found i think it was a filament issue more than anything but of course i got mad at idea maker but it wasn't i don't think it was their, their fault um <clears throat> and my uh spindle is too heavy for what i'm doing so now i'm designing some stuff some counterweight stuff right now for that and another thing is that i didn't think about brass rubbing against uh, stainless steel with sharp edges how abrasive 
that could be. So right after I thought I got it fixed off video, it um <laughs> my Z axis just fell right into the uh my part and uh that was interesting. Yeah, there's uh, something tells me that happens and for a split second you think dear god what just happened. <laughs> dear god, you <laughs> you're thinking oh my lord did everything break did something did did something in the code happen it's because it's just a bam you know it's just this whole dropping of my spindle into the part um which was okay because the part was just some uh uh wasteboards type material it was just some particle board it wasn't really concerned about it but what happened is my lead screw the acme screw had sharp edges on it so after a while rubbing against you know the harder metal rubbing against softer metal basically ate the threads out of the nut and it just fell right through it was quite quite interesting tearing it apart and whatnot but i am upgrading it actually you can hear in the background probably my printer going and it's printing parts, so hopefully this week I'll get it back up and going. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, well, dare I say, uh, like Monty Python, always look on the bright side of life and take it as a learning experience, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm. it's not that big of a deal. It's all this hobby stuff, you know. I probably spend more time thinking about my hobby stuff around the house than I do actually anything else, but that's my addiction. <laughs> Um, but I did have something cool happen this week. Is a guy got a big box of chinesium in the form of a laser. Laser. So I bought a cheap eBay laser, which um, well, I'll probably talk about more in the show. But uh, yeah, get it all fired up and whatnot, and it won't home out. <laughs> Had to tear apart the board, one of the boards, and found a. After a couple hours of looking and stuff, found it, uh, yeah, you can't solder crud to crud. It just, you know, so I had to clean up a solder joint and re-solder it. But it was kind of funny. I picked the crud off one of the solder joints, and there's an exact loop of gap around the pin that it was supposed to be soldered to. It was like, you can't even plan that to be a, a, as perfect of a bad solder, you know. So, a little flux, a little solder, now it works. Well, the homing out works. I haven't done all the stuff yet to actually fire it up. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean, uh, what I'll say is when you pay that kind of price that you paid for it, I would expect it to not come out of the box pristine, ready to use. Um, you have the eye, at least, to know what to do, um, which I'll say, yeah, if you... If you're not willing to put in the after time, then to buy something like this might be an extreme waste. Oh, definitely. Do not. Do not buy one of the cheap eBay K40 lasers unless you are willing to put in the time of troubleshooting problems. Because everybody online, I don't know, I've never seen a post where somebody's came perfectly ready to run right away. There's always something. Yeah, there's lots of videos um, on the K40. If you just look up the K40 laser um, on 
unpacking and what what you should look for to make sure it is working right. So that's good for other people that are buying. I'm mean, Chad already knows what to look for, but um, yeah, definitely take a look at a few of those videos if you intend to buy one of those things to just know what you're getting into. And I did. So I bought the latest release of the K40, you know, the latest um, digital readout and whatnot with the e-stop and everything. Paid a little more for it. Um, Brett, stop staring into the camera like that. But <laughs> anyway, but it's still, you know, there still is those little issues, you know, because they're not, you're not paying that high dollar price. And another note <clears throat> is I thought maybe I'd just upgrade to a little stronger laser or whatever, but the jump from a 40 watt laser to a 50 watt laser or a laser or even a 40 watt to a, you know, a basic flat where you can print flat stuff to something that's got the rotary access is like a thousand dollars. That jump is huge. That's crazy. Trust me, I did the research and I thought, well, maybe I'll get the upgrade. I wanted to get a, I wanted to have a rotary to do like beer mugs and stuff like that. And I looked at what it costs, the difference for the cheap, cheaper stuff, the up, the to get to have the rotary, and it is like a thousand dollars the difference. That jump is just crazy. And then if you jump from a 40 to a 50, most of them go from 110 to 220 volts right at that point. Yeah, so, I tried the same thing. Voltage, yeah. Yeah, that's like a 40 is like the biggest ledge you can run a 110. That's kind of the cutoff. That's a big jump in price, though. That doesn't quite make sense from like, I don't know. Look into it. It's horrible. That price jump. I wanted to get a rotary on it. You know, I wanted that fourth axis on it. I was like, well, maybe I'll just buy it instead of making it work, you know, because there is hacks you can do, and I will be doing them to do that. Um, but that price difference was like, holy, I couldn't believe it. But a lot of the, you can find, I think it's a 60-watt laser on eBay that they say is uh, 110, but everybody says that it's actually like a 40-watt laser that they're overpowering, and they don't last very long, so I don't suggest that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, man, okay. Well, it's good that you're learning about this stuff. Uh, it's one of those things I think time will help get everything up and running smooth kind of thing. Um, uh, Brett, you have a topic here about going to strategic planning. Now, a lot of people, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not about best ways to plan out how to build your 3D printer. This is definitely more serious, but it's still in the same methodology because when you're building and you're 3D printing and you're CNCing, there should always be some business thing in the background of your mind because if just like James said, if you can make your printer pay for itself even better, um, what exactly did you want to talk about, Brett? Um, yeah, I basically went to a, uh, it was a strategic planning event for the Pomona Fairplex, which is a place down near me. And, uh, they have the LA County fair there. Um, and, I went there just to see what was going on and see if I could maybe lobby for a makerspace. 
And uh, so, you know, going into there, it was a lot of craftsmanship based stuff. And uh, it was really, it was really interesting to see people talk about making, yet no one knew what a makerspace was. Um, it was, I was able to, you know, announce that, you know, I, I would like to see one of these built, you know, I'd like to help build it. I'd like to, you know, you know, offering my services, whatever you want to call, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, they really, everyone seemed to really be, uh, really for it. And it was really a good, uh, it was a good time to, to talk to people about making it was it was really fun i uh mentioned a lot of things and it was just it was really it was really interesting how much they were talking about craftsmanship making and this and that yet none of them really had even considered a makerspace there you see to me that's almost crazy that's like people passing around a football learning how to throw perfect spirals and catching but not understanding there's a game called football behind it Exactly. Yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting, and and you know the three of the topics had do it yourself in the title, you know. So it was it was a, it was it was fun, but it it was odd that they didn't you know even consider it. Gotcha, gotcha. So then here's my question: um, Were there any things about the act of um, stra, um, stra, strategic planning that you picked up on? Because I'm, what I'm going to guess is they're going to want more than just the idea of the thing, but they're going to want to hear some details behind it. Yeah. I, uh, I was able to talk to a few people and from that meeting, I, um, I was able to, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably, uh, I'll probably pick James's brain a bit. And, uh, I was able to see that what they needed, what they, you know, what kind of, uh, people they have behind them, um, I got in touch with a couple uh, people from LA that offered to sponsor partnership, you know, a couple things here and there. So, you know, I, I it was only a two-hour event, but it was, you know, eye-opening, and it really did help me learn quite a bit. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that I really think can only come with experience, because the people who are investing this thing have already been through these kinds of things in their own businesses so they want to see what's the ideas what's the initial cost what's the you know um uh expected return on investment how long do you see it project to start making things what's the liability things that could happen i mean boom 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 boom, boom, boom. and like how many of your ducks are in a row so it's the kind of thing that when you talk to uh james's guy i'm sure he's going to point you in a lot of the right directions for these kind of things so the more quickly the more accurately you can answer those questions the more confident i'm going to say those investors are going to be about being a being a um a, a part of it and it's the kind of thing it's one of those things people don't know that they need until there's one in town. So something tells me if you are able to get this thing launched and off the ground in less than eight months, you're going to see another one close by just because uh, it's going to, my logic is create a buzz in the making uh, crowd. Yeah. Um, there's already one, maybe 15, 20 miles away. So that's one that I, I still need to visit. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, like you said, they're popping up around and they're just, 
they're starting to become a little more popular. And I think with the resources that this place has, it would be a lot of a very good opportunity to have a big, just a big makerspace there. I mean, I don't know, huge, but big enough to, you know, be something. Gotcha, gotcha. Very cool. Okay, um, I'm almost afraid that I might have overhyped what I'm going to talk about here uh, because it's not really that, I don't think it is that really cool, different, important, groundbreaking, in, inventive, unique, whatever. But I think it could be cool, and it's the kind of thing I've been, I, honestly, mulling this over for more than a couple of weeks now in my head. And it started out with, I went to Disney World and I bought what essentially is a Darth Vader backpack. The entire out back side of it, facing side of it, is a Darth Vader helmet, basically. Um, it looks awesome. I literally get compliments for the backpack when I go places, but it is one of the worst backpacks I've ever had in my life. It literally has just one zipper on the top. And inside is basically just one sleeve where you can maybe fit like a 13-inch, maybe 13-inch laptop in it. And then just one huge empty pocket inside. So it is literally one of the worst backpacks I've ever had. But I can't stop wearing it because it's Darth Vader. Okay. So now with that said, here's my logic. And honestly, this is the kind of thing I could see being put on Etsy if it didn't have a Darth Vader look to it because then it'll be sued and taken off. But I simply go find a mask or my son can design a mask of different things, like maybe, or even just a template of like a big Podnuts logo, even. Uh, but for my personal use, I could take any backpack, turn it into a Darth Vader mask by basically downloading a Darth Vader STL type file, bring it into an application like, I don't know, Idea Maker, when it works right, cut the mask, or you know, go into that a application, cut the helmet. So basically, I'm just getting the face and like the top of the forehead. Um, Lay it down flat, print that out using, uh, you know, 5% infill. You don't need a lot. It's not going to be bearing weight, a lot of weight. Print that out, okay? Then get a, a little bit ruggedized, a little bit at least waterproof and UV-resistant cloth. Take glue, put it over top of the mask, put the cloth down over top of the mask. Leave excess cloth going around the edges of at least my logic is an inch. Fold the edge over so it's double thickness around the outside. And then just basically take Velcro and put it on that. Put Velcro on the backpack. And then I could, should, I think, be able to turn any backpack into a customized Vader helmet backpack. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to basically tell my son, you can design your own robots, your own faces, your own expression, your own logos, your own shapes. So you can literally have like a custom look on your backpack. And the logic is you use Velcro. So if you do have pockets facing backwards on your backpack and you need to get to them, you can simply just pull the mask off, Velcro, boom, 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 and get right to those pockets. So is it a stupid idea or I don't know? I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'd have to see it, but it sounds neat. <laughs> Yeah, Stupid I, in a good way. <laughs> what about? Uh, I was thinking like um, like having a base backpack. While you were talking about it, having like a base backpack and um, having magnets on it or Velcro and uh, putting it all together, where you can just you have your own mask and you can switch masks. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I like the idea of magnets only because then you don't have to glue or affix anything to your backpack. You can just have magnets on the inside of your backpack 
going through. So I actually, I like that better. Um, and typically speaking, I'll say with most of the things you put in your backpack, magnets aren't going to damage anything unless you have like a 3.5 floppy disk in your backpack. Yeah, you can't carry around those floppy disks anymore. Well, <laughs> we'll have to work around it. And, 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 and to be honest, the other reason I like this is was literally, if I want, I could make it out of a three-dimensional Podnuts logo and then with the cloth, basically take it off, use the cloth, paint it in the correct fashion and have it look even more three-dimensional kind of thing. Well, that, and you could change it every week if you wanted to. Yeah, You don't have to based, have the same thing all the time. Change it based on your mood. Yeah, Boba Fett this week or Vader? Well, and that's the thing. For personal use, I could do anything. I don't care. You know, but if, I, he, if it's the kind of thing that he would like to eventually take on to Etsy, it, of course, it, it can't be copyrighted material is my logic. Um, and now here's the other thing. When I look at backpacks, there isn't a huge big difference in widths or heights of backpacks until you get into like more of the hiker or more of the, you know, um, uh, military grade type backpacks. And am I foolish in thinking that? No. Um, I think most of them do mainly for paper. Like the, uh, what I would model it after is like the Jansport, you know, the, the most iconic, whatever you want to call it, backpack, the most used backpack there ever was is Jansport, I think. Gotcha, gotcha. Then what I got to figure out is, is there a way that I could, should offer an insert into the backpack that's just the edge with the magnets already in it? Or, you know, how is that going to be? And because I keep thinking a very small edge kind of thing with just the magnets in it, but I'm not, I, I say I have to think about it some more, but I'm going to get the light box done. The main reason I'm now telling my son we have to get the light box done is because if you do want to make money to buy your own video games, we have to give take pictures of things that you can present to people to show them examples of the kind of things that you can sell to them. So we need to finish the light box. We need to start designing things. You need to start printing things. You need to start making things. We need to start ma- taking pictures of things. Then we have to post them so people can see the type of work that you can do. Um, you know, and like the uh, light switch cover, which is like the old Igor Frankenstein switches. Those are the kind of things I think if people see, if they're cheap enough, they'll eat it up. Yeah, I got to print some of those. Those things are awesome. Oh, for the backpack thing, if you want to put that into an existing backpack, um, I used to work in the cut and sew industry. And there's a lot of products where you could easily do that. Like uh, there's stuff you can like you could make like a rim out of piping or something that you sew like a, a band of material around with your magnets in it. And you sew this material to it that, you know, is like basically an iron-on type material. So somebody could iron it to the inside of their backpack. Um, you know, there's some that you put a solvent like alcohol or something on them. And it like dissolves them for a minute. And you stick it to the fabric and then it hardens up. Those are a little more expensive though. But yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you could do with that. It wouldn't be hard to make something you could put in an existing backpack to stick the magnets in there or whatever. So like... the Backpack still looks exactly the same if they don't have, you know, their Darth Vader face stuck on it or whatever. It's a good idea, though. I'd totally walk around geeking out, sporting a backpack with a Darth Vader face on it. Yeah, the only thing I keep thinking is, one, it would be really good to get a fabric color 
for the people that matches their backpack. Because my logic is you don't want it to be ridiculously different, unless, of course, that's the purpose of it. Um, but you can make it totally invisible. That's the thing. Like, you could do it so it's on the inside of the backpack if you're using magnets, and it looks totally the same and unchanged from the outside if you wanted. Well, I mean, the actual mask fabric would should oh match. yeah 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 um but now here's the other thing i keep thinking fabric is not fabric is not fabric i'm gonna guess there's a lot of fabric i would go out and buy and would fade quicker in the sun or uh, uh more resi- uh, uh more easily torn or scuffed or buffed kind of thing because like the backpack i have the material is like a very thick woven material but it's still unbelievably flexible so i'm gonna have to figure out what is that fabric? What kind of fabric to look for? Most fabrics will have a color fastest rating somewhere for how well the color keeps up under UV and all that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes you got to dig to find that stuff, but just about all fabrics will have some kind of color fastness rating. Uh, thing called drapeability that's rated off of how they're woven and all that stuff. If you go to like Joanne Fabrics or something, they're not going to know any of that stuff. But if you talk to... Uh, some of the people who sell fabric online, they can probably help you out. I don't know. But yeah, um, as far as like, I don't know, ruggedness and color fastness, there's uh, um, any kind of fabric you'd find in a car um, is going to work for a backpack or something like that. And there's a few companies that make like automotive fabrics that uh, if you stick to fabrics from those companies, it'll work. Shaw Mutt, I think, is the name of one. Uh, there's a couple of others I can't remember offhand because it's been years since I worked in that stuff. But uh, I can try and look it up. But yeah, anything rated for automobiles is going to do fine on a backpack in any kind of weather or sun or any kind of stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'll have to look through uh, my old work stuff to figure out there's three or four companies that if that that make automotive fabrics that if it's from them you you can pretty much trust it to be like super rugged gotcha gotcha yeah and uh, somebody at work did mention car car seat cover type of fabric fabric because it does seem to be more durable and less uh or, or more resistant to fading yeah they test the heck out of that stuff it's got to be like 90 days like they do tests where they put it like for 90 days and like salt like air and you know like with 100 percent humidity and all this kind of stuff and shine bright uv lights at it and if it doesn't survive all of that stuff you know you can't put it in a vehicle because you know pe- sunshine in people's cars all day is pretty hard on things so any kind of automotive fabric except some of the cheap aftermarket stuff like the aftermarket uh seat covers you get at AutoZone, those cheap things those will fade like crazy like, I was going to say, but, anything you get at Pet Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of those are good. Some of them aren't. Um, there's one company that uh, I used to quote these seat covers things for. We used to make um, Craco, they were called. Uh, they had good fabrics. Um, and Shawmut, they had good fabrics, and they make them here in the States, so they're not Chinesium. I'll have to look up and I'll send you some links or some names of some companies. But uh, yeah, anything automotive that's not aftermarket is definitely going to be good. Very cool, very cool. And I think I'm almost upset that Liam isn't here because one of the things that crossed my mind was shields. You could have the back of your backpack look like a shield. And I thought if I said that in front of him, he would get a little giddy. Yeah, he would. 
Very cool, very cool. So, and, and, and I'll say this, when making, realistically, you should have 10 ideas that you should toss around in a select group of people like, like, like here, and maybe fully follow through on one or two out of 10, because, you know, you can't do everything and you should think of more than what you can do. Uh, that, so the cream rises to the top, the best rise to the top. And I'll say this, I don't care, listeners, if you take my idea and you quote unquote, beat me to market, congratulations. All I ask is like once a year or twice a year, send me a free one. I don't ask for much. And if you win the mega millions or the Powerball in the United States of America, which is right now like 360 and $380 million, just give me something, just a little, little something. And I'll be happy. I'll, I'll be your friend for life. Very cool. Um, I, I'll say this. I really hope to give you guys a positive update in a week of anything regarding that. Um, I don't, this is the kind of thing I really don't want to do myself. I want to get my kid in, as involved as possible. I don't want him to come downstairs and see me doing things about it and not having him involved. I think it will discourage him because he's a child and he's fragile and he's brittle. Oh my God, he's so brittle, but I love the kid. Um, so I want to make sure he's involved is my logic. I want to make sure he's involved. So he feels like he's making it happen. And I'm just doing pointing, you know, like a consultant in an IT company. Um, uh, okay. Uh, James, you said you wanted to talk about a, was it a CNC machine you got? Yeah. CNC router slash laser. Um, if anybody's planning on buying a machine for build your C from build your CNC.com, that's where I got the machine from. Um, Okay, so I've spent the last few weeks building a CNC machine that'll do a 4 by 8 sheet of material so I can put a full sheet of plywood on it or whatever. Um, it's You could look at it as a high-end hobbyist machine or like a low-end business kind of you know machine like a woodworking business might buy or something like that. Um, or uh, like us, guys who build gaming PCs. Um, yeah, uh, so... They do some smaller machines as well, which is why I wanted to talk to uh, about it, like hobbyist size, you know, two by four beds and stuff like that. Um, if you'd asked me last week, I'd have said don't buy anything from these guys. But now that I've got it up and running and that I'm using it, actually a really good machine. Um, very easy to work on. All off-the-shelf items. You can work on it yourself pretty easily. Um, I've been, like very impressed like those x carves machine the x carve machines like a similar machine in the x carve side size range um will run you only a couple hundred bucks more but it's definitely going to be more rigid and less wimpy than an x carve um software wise that's all up to you um uh, good machine uh the four by eight machines are no different from the smaller machines other than bed travel and the nice thing about them is if you want to you know make them 20 feet long you can like there's no limitation um if you want to make them two feet long you can so if you buy a little machine you can turn it into a big machine so anyway last week why i would have said don't buy from these guys and um why you might still not want to buy from these guys is they seem like nice guys and everything. They build a decent machine, but their customer service was freaking awful. Like, awful. Like, I I had the machine damaged in shipping. Um, they said they'd send me some more parts, uh, which is cool, you know. That's fine. Three times they sent me parts. Sent me the wrong parts every time. <laughs> this isn't, like... 
you know, six weeks shipping it from China. This is, you know, an American company, same business hours. I can call them and talk to them and, you know, they send stuff out the next day and everything. No tracking on any of the shipments, everything like that. So um, buildyourcnc.com. If you know it, kind of already know what you're doing with CNC DIY stuff, I would recommend them. If you can work on the machine yourself, you don't have to rely on them. It's a good machine. If you're starting out, no way. Stay away from them. Run the other way. Run the other direction. They're not going to help you. Well, they're going to try, but yeah, it's not going to go well. Um, I have a feeling somebody designed a really good machine and they're a much better engineer than a businessman because it's only two or three people there. So, I mean, I don't want to like be down on them. They're nice guys, but I do have to be realistic. Having said that, though, having gone through the cons, um, right now, uh, I'm milling eighth inch aluminum, which is about supposedly the upper limit for you know a DIY router, and a lot of them won't do that. I'm milling eighth inch aluminum at about eighty to one hundred inches a minute, and it's tearing right through it. And it's doing fine. So you you know you can actually do some real machining with this thing. Um, plus, I get a laser on it for I think another seven hundred fifty dollars for all the laser stuff. So, you know, not bad. So, like, if anybody out there is in the market for um, kind of a above average for the hobbyist CNC machine and they kind of know how to troubleshoot and know what they're doing, definitely, definitely a machine I would look into. Because... So is the laser mount part of that kit? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, I think any of their options, you can add the 40-watt laser for... Uh, 750 bucks that comes with a laser, the power supply, wiring, uh, you know, the water cooling, all that. And I think they have an 80 watt as well. Um, I didn't get the 80 watt because mostly I'm just doing laser graving and aluminum with it. Uh, you can't cut metal with a 40 watt. Uh, you can cut Luan. You can actually cut plywood if you don't mind a lot of smoke and you don't mind going real slow. Um, you're kind of more burning your way through the plywood, though, if you're talking about like half inch or three quarter inch plywood. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for that. You can cut Luan, you can engrave, you can cut acrylic if you can, you know, stuff like that. Um, but again, you want to know what you're doing. If you get one of these machines, there are instructions online look really good at first glance, and then you actually go to put the machine together and you realize that they don't tell you half of what you need to know. Like the pictures of the, the VFD for the spindle are one model of VFD. The instructions are for a different model. It's just very, 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 very disorganized, um, I guess is what I'd say. But like I said, having said that, I'm tearing through aluminum at 80, 80 inches a minute, you know. 100 inches a minute. Uh, they're telling me I can probably get 120 inches a, a minute if I tweak things right. We'll see. Um, you're not going to do that with an X-Carve. And I think an X-Carve is like a meter square bed. And I think they have a 4x4. Four four. You know, X-Carves are what, $1,100? I think they have a 4x4 four four that's like fourteen or $1,500 or something like that. So, yeah. If you know what you're doing, good machine. If you don't know what you're doing, don't buy this machine. Don't. You know, what but, are the steppers on that machine? Uh, they're NEMA 34s, they're a nice, beefy stepper, they're pretty respectable. Like, yeah, I, I paid $6,900 for it, and um, yeah, 23s, I think. I'm, yeah, that sounds right. 
but uh um i paid uh $6900 i think w including freight and all that kind of stuff to do a full sheet and kind of the next machine up that's even close to it is 7500 for just the frame you know so that's not bad you got to build your own table for this but you know if you're doing a diy cnc router anyway you ought to be able to build a table um so you know the next level up you're once you get your um spindle and your hardware and everything else it's going to run you 10 12 15 grand so it's 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 in kind of a sweet spot um money wise but <laughs> i mean i i gotta say like i'd call this company and i'd talk to them and i ask them what the pinout was just send me a chart of the pinout they couldn't do that like they, they they'd talk back and forth a while oh oh yeah 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 i think that's pin number 16 on the parallel port blah 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 blah, blah, blah. okay uh yeah somebody somebody ought to know i finally had to get the owner and the owner knew all about him but um uh they just they're 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 hopeless when it comes to customer support they're absolutely hopeless absolutely just just hands down one of the worst companies i've ever dealt with i i really think their heart's in the right place but it's i like i said i think it's two or three people and they're just overwhelmed um uh, so you know more power to them they're building a good machine but if you're a beginner it's not for you it's definitely not for you. If you've got a little bit of experience though and you want to actually do some real machining on a router, I, I would recommend them. They're pretty good. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Taking extreme devil's advocate on it, an it, um, unbelievably liberal thing on it. Hypothetically, I'm just going to say maybe good parts, terrific owner with great vision of what to do, uh the company itself expanded too quickly training wasn't done completely right or documentation for training wasn't done completely right customer service has intentions the best of intentions and they weren't mean they weren't rude they just were undereducated on the project and it sounded like they don't have the immediate power to make the promises and then have the capability ability for themselves to follow through with like there's a lack of communication somewhere going on so yeah I, yeah pretty much hit the nail on the head yeah there were plus they were three months late on chipping the thing that that was yeah. a big that was a big big downside right there i mean if you're a hobbyist that's annoying if you're like me and you're trying to make a living off this thing i lost out on a a six thousand dollar job because this machine was late you know that would have mostly paid for it you know gotcha. so well what i'll say is hopefully they're learning by this hopefully like they send you a feedback thing because they need to oh they got feedback <laughs> i gave them some feedback <laughs> right yeah well, they're, they're not gonna bother sending me anything i send it to them right well hopefully they take it seriously hopefully they bake curriculum off of it they learn by it and they in the future onboard people better and they have better processes in place because with what sounds like a good idea of a product I mean a really good idea of a product and without sending out crappy quality of products just crappy quality of documentation you know missing parts wrong parts kind of thing just sounds like there's a a gap in their qa and things so yeah I would love, yeah 
Yeah, so I, I would love it if in six months or three months they do a turnaround and, and they actually get these things hammered out because, you know, competition's good. And it, it what sounds like, it, in actuality, a fair price, it would be great to see them do better. Oh, yeah. I mean, I researched a lot of different routers and stuff. It was a very um, well-researched decision I made when I went with these guys, you know? Um, but... <laughs> It's just like they sent me the wrong parts. I tell them, you sent me the wrong parts. Okay, we'll fix it. Well, they just sent me the wrong, same wrong parts again. And then they sent me a different batch of wrong parts. It's like, come on, guys. But, you know, plus they were super late. But, like, if everything would have went smoothly, I'd be singing this thing's praises because it's really a good machine. It's super easy to work on. Like, it is easy to kind of take it apart and go, oh, this does that. This does that. This does that. Like, I can... I can totally, I mean, it's practically open source. I can totally upgrade this thing. I can rebuild this thing. It's pretty transparent how they built it and everything. Like if you're a bit of a tinkerer and you're experienced, I would totally recommend it. I would totally recommend it. But yeah, if you're expecting something to run out of the box, no, no. But like if if they get their uh, stuff together, it'd be it'd be uh it's a good router for the money it's a good router for the money but it's also a very frustrating experience <laughs> overall having said that though um it's uh it's been a heck of a lot of fun using it all this week you know it's like we've got a vacuum former here and i need to make a tool from a vacuum former it's like Oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, I got a sheet of MDF sitting here. I just program one up, throw it on the router, bam, you know, three hours later, it's done. Very cool, very cool. But, yeah, and I'll say, if you didn't have the education you have, it would have sounded like turned out to be a much worse experience. I, I wouldn't have got it running. I just wouldn't have got it running. You could also have had the frustrations that I'm having with the MP and CNC, you know? That's kind of the it's, same thing, you know? But you're the guy who built it, so like you know how it all went together. You know who to blame. It's a little, it's you know when I can. I don't know if you're the same way as me, but when I can blame myself, I feel like a jerk. But I get a little less frustrated. But when it's other people and it's out of my hands, <laughs> I'm not an you know I'm I'm not a patient guy. I get I get uh uh bent out of shape pretty quickly. I guess. Right. No, that's I was just kind of joking about that, but it, yeah. It, it can be fun after the fact, but going through it is such a frustration. But then once it's running, it's like even that much better. I, I got to admit, I pulled the like podcasting card when I was like yelling at him on the phone. I'm like, I need this, blah, blah. I, I wanted to talk about this thing on my podcast. And like, I can't because it's not running. And da, 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 da. Oh, oh, sorry, we'll help you. I'm not sure if that was a jerky thing to do or not, but I did it. <laughs> And they got my Y-axis rail they needed to replace on the third try. I got that right. So uh, thanks, guys. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, do you guys have any other topics you would like to bring up? Okay. Uh, what I want to close with is honestly asking you guys and asking you, the l listeners, if you can, uh, take a look at podnuts.com slash deals. Um, we have some new a, uh, a, uh, affiliate links. Uh, to help support the network. You don't pay anything extra. You go there, you click the link, a cookie gets set in your browser. Some of the cookies are for 15 days or until you clear your cash and cookies. Some of them are for like 30 and 45 days. Uh, and they are links for things like uh, 
the um, official Acer store. So if you want to buy an Acer laptop or an Acer device and you want to support the network, you go in that page, click that link, and then go purchase your item. Uh, we also have links for Autodesk, which is one of the companies we talk about in this show, which is why I selected them to be on that page. So if you want to pay for some product through Autodesk and you go through our link, we will see a percentage. And to be honest, I think an actual generous percentage back from that company. If I remember, I want to say it was uh, up upwards of two and a half percent, which is very high. Um, we also have links for gear for, um, for um, gear best, which is the place where we can go and get the uh, CR 10 at what we know of as being the most affordable price. Uh, we also have AliExpress, which is Alibaba's place to go buy things in bulk. So hypothetically, if um, Jonas wants to go buy, you know, 350 of these batteries because he wants to mass produce uh, rocket power amp um, power um, chargers, he can go on AliExpress, get bulk shipments sent to him kind of thing. Uh, and if there's any companies out there you guys think I should look at or should look for for a affiliate link, I'd ask you guys, please let me know. Uh, the number one thing is to make it so it makes you guys happy. Um, so if there's anyone you would like to see there, don't hesitate. Give me a um, email, shoot it to me. Uh, I will say this is the kind of thing I would ask people once every couple of weeks. Go check out that page because I do expect every week to have one or two of the vendors dropping off or coming on. So there should be new stuff happening all of the time. Okay. Uh, with that said, uh, I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thank everyone for their support. And if you want to give podcasting in general support, there is a documentary that is coming out, which right now you can pre-order on iTunes called the messengers podcast documentary. Uh, a real nice guy in Florida goes to podcasters that were not famous before they were podcasters, not people like Adam Carolla, not people like Leo Laporte, not those kind of people, but actual people who were nobodies, quote unquote, and then became podcasters. He talks to them about what it means to podcast. Why do you podcast? Where do you see podcasts going to uh, all kinds of good content as far as I'm concerned? And it really is trying to spread the message to make the word podcast a more normal thing to hopefully in the near future, go down the street, ask any random person, what podcast do you listen to? And they won't say what's a podcast. Um, uh, it's a really nice guy who's behind this really good friends of Steve C the founder of podnuts.com. And it would help me out a lot. It would help him out a lot. Uh, if we could get these uh, pre-orders up to number one on iTunes, I believe it's number two right now on iTunes, which is really impressive. Uh, but if we can make it to number one, it will be even more impressive. Uh, so I want to thank everyone again for downloading. Thanks for their support. Thanks for sending us, uh, any feedback again the makers at podnuts.com or just go to podnuts.com click feedback send us an email and we will bring it to the show and we will talk to everyone in about a week